Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, guys, we are back this week. I know throughout a lot of the uh, southern part of the state, it's been super rainy. The waters are super high, super muddy. Uh, It's kind of been killing the fishing down here for me, but I am happy to say before we get started, I just got to share this. I did get to go out on my first Father's Day fishing trip this past Sunday. So me and my wife and my little girl, we loaded up and uh, we're shore bound with a little bit, but we were able to get out to a local pond and we got about an hour's worth of fishing in before the rain came in. And that that warm weather and that front overcast drizzle coming in, we caught seven or eight nice little one two pound pond bass for for a little bit. So it uh definitely scratched the itch I had. We ain't really been out much since we had the kid. But anyway, we're gonna go ahead and we are going to jump right in it for our first guest. We are here today with Lee Pitts. Lee Pitts is a very good crappie guide. Uh, he usually fishes up around Weiss Lake and Neely Henry Lake. Man, I'm doing good. How about y'all? We we doing good. We ain't been blowed away yet. So the tornadoes they done got my neighbors, but they ain't got me yet. We we've had to dodge them, you know, the last couple of days. We hadn't had any tornadoes here in my area, but it's uh, it's really really been some high winds that uh, we've had to knock around. You know, out on the water, you got to keep a close eye on it. That's the last thing I want to have some people maybe it be their first time out and we get spun around a little bit. So I wanted to make sure it's a, a good. <laughs> good situation for them absolutely yeah i got to keep a real good eye because my boat it, it's just a little john boat and it don't go that fast so i can't outrun a storm i gotta i gotta get a good 20 30 minute head start on it so that, that's always good that's always good absolutely well uh with with the wind you uh you've been getting on any fish you know we have it's it's one of those deals that uh you know this is kind of late in the season for us uh, you know, with our crappie, it, it's uh, I'm swapping over now. Kind of still do, catching some crappie, but we're mixing in some white bass with it. And I've uh, even got you know some of my trips are just bass only. So I do a little bit of everything. Uh, most of the time, it, it's my crappie, and, and it runs from that October all the way through that you know October, November, December, January, February, March, April, and about May, it kind of starts slowing down, and I get to take a breath and go try to catch something else. There we go. Well, I've been up on the Tennessee River just a handful of times, but I'm all the way down here on the opposite end of the state. So give me give me the overview. I know there's a bunch of lakes up there, a bunch of, bunch of dams. So what's your favorite lake to fish right now? Now, what I've been doing here um, the last few years, I live on Weiss Lake, and, and we're on the the Coosa chain of lakes, you know, we're the first water on uh, the headwaters coming out of, uh, out of Georgia that comes into the first Coosa Lake and that's Weiss Lake. And then we run on down Neely Henry, Logan Martin, uh, keep on going on down through there, lay Mitchell Jordan. And it goes back into, you know, to down towards where you are. So we're right. over here on the Coosa tra- chain 
And, uh, you know, we've got several, several good lakes here uh, with with Weiss and Neely being the two that I really try to to do most of my guiding on and stay on. And uh, it keeps me busy. Like I said, I I get to slip off and see some new water every now and then. It's kind of like a deer hunter. I get tired of seeing the same trees every now and then, so I got to slip off through something else. So how's everything going on Weiss Lake? What are you doing up there? Are you fishing deep right now? Are you fishing shallow? You say the bite's kind of tapering off. What are you doing to kind of stay on them as it fades out for the year? Most of what we're doing, you know, and it's kind of strange. Most of the time we're we're kind of uh, not even really targeting the crappie this time of year, but we've had a crazy spring. We We caught more fish in that. December, January, February, and like everybody else in, around this area, we had a series of weather fronts all through our key times that March and April that, that was pretty tough on us. And so now I think we're getting some of these fish that have just been holding out in the mouths of these bays and the, and the mouths of some of these big creeks and didn't ever really come in to do their what I call the spring fling. You know, they, they never got up in there in that shallow water and on the stumps and brush piles and the shallow docks do their thing so we're targeting right now uh you're looking at more of your 10 12 14 16 foot brush piles going from the the creeks going back towards the main river they're they're tending to hold it, it's almost like a, a a fall pattern in the fall that's what we look for out on the river channel we're looking for that wood cover man-made brush stumps sanded timber anything that those fish can hold on and it's really just kind of prolonged our season. I do a lot of dock shooting. You know, I, I really like that. It's a kind of a hands-on approach. You know, you're you're bending that rod back like a bow and arrow and skipping those Bobby Garland products up under these docks. And they're still holding now, even it's, you know, it's summertime here in Alabama. So they're still on some of these deeper docks. And when I say deep, our our Coosa chain of lakes, we're they're they're typically shallow water. So my deep is six, eight, ten foot of water uh on, on the dock shooting. Right. And they're holding on the outer post on this and getting that shade, getting up underneath these docks, and they got a lot of bait fish around. So we've got a multiple of how we're catching them right now. I got you. What is, so that's actually, that's something that's, that's been on my mind. So down here, we got some guys that fish docks, but it's not a huge thing like it is up there on those lakes. It's just kind of harder, swampy down here. Not as many people got good docks for it. Now I've been up around different lakes, different parts of the world, like Martin, Lake Jordan, Lake Gunnersville. And I've, I've seen those big, nice docks and I've seen some of the fishing YouTubers up there fishing where it just looks like you got a mile of docks, right? But down here, I don't get to practice it a whole lot. So for me and for other people who are new to it, what what's your best tip you can give on shooting docks? Because I know you definitely, you don't want to be out there, you know, banging a jig head off of off the gel coat on somebody's boat up underneath their dock. Yeah, they, they tend to frown on that. And, it, and it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I try to tell people not every length rod is going to work for different people. You know, I'm I'm 6'4". And I've got a longer wingspan than most, I tell people. So I like that longer rod. I like a six six and even a seven-footer because I can bow that rod up. And, and what you try to do, I tell people it, it's kind of like shooting a bow and arrow. You want to use your same anchor point each time. And, and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about uh, with this dock shooting, I've got several videos out, some YouTube stuff. I like a, either a 32nd or a 124th ounce head on my jig. 
you're looking at light line, six pound, eight pound. Sometimes I use four. Um, but but I'm I'm letting that. I try to keep my bell open, my finger on the line. You know, I'm, I'm ready to make a cast. But I'll leave a, the the bait with about ten inches from where I'm holding my reel. Like if I just held the rod straight up, let the line go where that bait's about ten to twelve inches above my reel. That way, when you hold that by the hook and get a low center of gravity, bend it back like a bow and arrow. It's almost like you go from twelve o'clock just just straight out till three o'clock, or, or you kind of get my drift on that. More of a parallel look, uh, straight with the water. And when you get that, you can release that. You're pulling that jig back behind your reel. Right, I, I try to go to my hip. That way I'm using my same anchor points every time. So when I let that bait go, is it shoots out with the bend of that rod and it's shooting it out. I let go of my line. And it's almost like you're just shooting a bow and arrow. And when it skips underneath that dock and you're going to have a whole bunch of miscues, you're going to have some that, Oh man, I was trying to get a little too tight on that one. And it's going to swing up and be in the rafters and it's going to go sideways. But when you skip that thing under there and it starts falling and you see that line twitch and when you step back, then you got to fight him out from under that dock, man, you'll keep on doing it. Yeah. And you keep a pretty stout setup. They kind of got to keep them off them pylons and get them winched out quick. You trying to horse them in or. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's why I like a little longer rod, but most of my clients, I'll start them out with maybe a five footer, five and a half, maybe a six footer so they can get the hang of it. Uh, and, and what you do, you want enough backbone in that rod, maybe up to about the second eyelet that you can still control that fish and you don't want too limber of a rod. Cause then it's like a buggy whip, you know, you don't have any control with it, but you want enough that you can load that rod up you know, really, really bend it back to get a good shot. And then you, you're watching that. It's, it's more or less you're watching the line. I try to keep a bow in that line. That way, if you know you're in eight foot of water and it drops three feet and stops, he's got it. Or right. if you see it move to the side, he's got it. And and I love a high vis. I, I'm using vicious high vis on mine. It, it's a lot of people say, well, that yellow line is going to cause problems in clear water. It doesn't me. And, and I do it uh stain water clear water what you know wherever i'm at that's what i'm gonna use i can see that line better and i know how that jig's falling i know what it's doing and like i said the, the reason I, I don't use a 16th much because it falls a little too fast and i'm not really just hopping it up off the bottom like you would a jig or a worm or something bass fishing i, I want to kind of halfway swim it play that water column where i can figure that once you find out where those fish are holding and going, I know I'm kind of scattered right now on this, but that's where my hummingbird electronics come into play because I'll make a little drive-by on these docks before I ever start, and I'll throw that side imaging on them. And if I say, hey, there they are right there, they only there's eight, nine foot of water, they're three foot deep hanging on that pole right there, you know what you're shooting at. There we go. No, that's, that's really good information. That's something hopefully I can maybe start trying to play around with down here personally. What are you throwing right now as far as your jigs? You said you 116th was a little too heavy, so I figure you're probably using 132nds, maybe some 164s. But what's you, your, your soft plastic on your jig? Are you throwing soft plastics or, or are you throwing hair jigs? Or No, what I'm doing, and, and I've got uh, – I, I love my Bobby Garland's on the slab slayers and, and the, uh, you know, the baby sheds, things like that. But we've had it, – it came out last year. 
kind of later in the year. I just got mine early spring, and I've been playing with them some. We got a whole new bait that's just come out. It's called a mayfly, and we've always had the mayfly color, but now we we have got with Bobby Garland a bait, and it's an unbelievable bait itself. But the packaging is different. The bait is something different than most crappie fishermen had never seen. Uh, this bait looks just like a mayfly. I mean, it's got the little split tail that comes out. It's got the little appendages that come off the side. I mean, it's a really, really good looking bait, a little bit bigger than some of our other garland baits. It's, a, it's not a bulky bait, but it's a little bigger. And the packaging on this, when you go in your Bobby Garland distributors around in the tackle stores, it's a whole different package than what we've uh, had in the past. This looks like a the the baby wipes, the hand wipes, you know, that you've got the little flap up lid up on the in the middle of it, how it sits down, and you, you pop the lid up and you reach in there and pull them out through the little already slit that's in it. That's exactly how this is. These baits are already pre-scented, pre-oiled. They've got the Garland logo on the front, and when they hang out, I mean, when you open it, you push a bait through the bottom, you get it, you shut that top, and it seals it right back off. I mean, it's a it's an amazing bait. I've been playing with it this spring. I've been long line trolling with it, and it's something that fish are really, really, especially around my area, they're reacting to it great. I mean, I'm catching white bass. I'm catching spotted bass. I'm catching crappie. I'm catching, if I'm around a decent brim, he's going to eat it. So, I mean, it doesn't uh, discriminate against nothing. It catches all of them. I'm actually looking at it. I just pulled it up on my computer, and, yeah, I like the looks of it. That split tail and those little yeah. legs and that little wing to it, I like kind of a little more of a creature bait than if, you know, if somebody's familiar with the little Bobby Garland shad baits. I like it. And, it. and it does. And like I said, it doesn't roll on you. I played with it in the water where I could see it and watch it. It The way it's designed, the way it sets, it's got a, a natural drop, a natural, uh, you know, swim to it. It doesn't roll or twist on you. I mean, it's, it's a it's a really, really good bait, and it's been a good producer for me because a lot of times I've got, and I'm not saying this in a, I'm not meaning anything bad about this saying it, but a lot of the clients I have, and they'll tell me, they said, Lee, I don't fish much. I really don't know what I'm doing. And I, I tell them, hey, that's wonderful. You don't have no bad habits to break. That's but it. this is a bait that I can put in their hands, and they can be productive with it, and they can catch fish and feel like, you know they've been doing it all their life it looks it looks like it would have a lot of just natural action to it coming through the water looks like anything if just just any little vibration in your hand or if you had it under a slip float and a little bit of chop on the water it looks like it would move really really well it does and like i said it surprised me because uh you know long line trolling a lot of times especially when the fish gets shallow you may need something with a curly tail or you may need something that's uh, got a little wiggle to it and this bait right here i mean it, it if you're pitching it casting it throwing it under a float pulling with it uh you know a lot of times i got five people in the boat so i'm gonna have a bunch of casting i'm gonna put them in the holders and i can catch fish with it sure well lee where would be a uh if, if somebody wants to come up there and uh and shoot a dock with you and, and throw some of them there bobby garland mayflies what's what's a good way to reach out to you man the best way and i tell everybody i'm not a button pusher uh, if you send me an email or send me something on the computer, I might check it in a month or two. Best way is to call <laughs> me on telephone. My number is 256-390-4145. Call me and talk to me, man. I mean, it's, I'm, I, I, I like, that's why I do what I do. I like being around folks. I like talking to people, man. We'll talk fishing. Just give me a call. That's the best way to get in touch with me. 
Absolutely, guys. I can testify that uh, Lee here, he's a super easy guy to talk to. We were sitting there shooting the breeze a little bit before the show started. So if y'all want a uh, good trip up there on Weiss Lake, y'all give him a call. And Lee, I appreciate having you on the podcast, sir. Man, I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you guys. So come on up here and go fishing with me. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's take a quick break and hear from some of this week's sponsors. This segment of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. All right, guys, we are here today with William Davis of Davis Bait Co. Uh, They are a bait manufacturer here local to us in Sylacauga, Alabama. Uh, William's son, Will Davis Jr., is actually a very proficient tournament bass angler, Uh, but we're here, here today talking with William Davis Sr. William, tell us about yourself. You know, we've been around this industry 46 years. Our biggest line of lures is mainly for spotted bass, which is now called Alabama bass. We also make for largemouth. We make striped bass lures. We make a few salt waters, and uh, we make crappie lures. And uh, we kind of use those lures all across the United States, but we mainly fish on the Coosa and Tallapoosa rivers with them, and uh, we've had a lot of success with them. Awesome. Good deal. Well, you, you talked about spotted bass. Now, that's something I'm down here on, on Mobile Bay, and that's not really something that we have down here. What what can you tell our listeners about, about spotted bass? How is that different from, from largemouth bass? Is it different? And uh, how's, how's the spotted bass fishing doing right now up there on the Coosa Tallapoosa? You know, the spotted bass fishing right now, they've come off the beds and they're seeking out deeper water and uh, – you know, the spotted bass, they're a little bit different than, than the largemouth bass as far as the way you target fishing for them. The spotted bass, we think, is easier to catch because they, they roam in wolf packs. And what we mean by wolf packs, they usually, you know, 8 to 10, I've seen them up to 50 fish in one area. And uh, when they get like that, they're a lot easier to catch and a lot easier to find where you're with your down imaging, your forward-facing sonar, and your side imaging. So um, they're a little bit different. The largemouth that we, we see, they they tend to stay alone. Sometimes when they get out deeper, they'll start to school up. Like this time of the year, they'll start to school up. And and uh, But they're just a different creature. Uh, they don't get quite as big as the largemouth. Now, we've caught them here on uh, the Coosa River. Actually, Logan Martin, I caught one. Uh, they weighed eight pounds and four ounces. So they, they do get big here, but just not quite as big as the largemouth. Uh, they're, they're not quite of a shallow fish as a largemouth. Largemouth, they, they hang around shallow brush for the most part or shallow grass. Um, they do a lot of feeding on bluegills. Um, and we find out that the number one food, um, 99% of the time for um, the Alabama bass is a crawfish, and uh, we make several lures that imitates a crawfish. And right now, we're actually catching some real good numbers 
and some real good sizes on a uh, Davis um, shaky head with a Davis shaky worm in the green pumpkin color. And that really? seems like that's a that's a good go-to bait right now on all the lakes because the crawfish are that color. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about the shaky head weights and the shaky head worm? The shaky head weights is designed to go with a shaky head worm. Um, it has a little bit different keeper on it. It's I guess the easiest way to describe it would be a premium jig head with a little bit bigger hook, a sharper hook. And we just make them well balanced. So when the when you throw it out, it'll spiral down, and then the worm is a floating worm. So the worm actually stands up in the water column, and it looks like a crawfish trying to fight back. And we we feel like that that's that's what the 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 fish likes. So with them feeding on crawfish, and you got a crawfish that looks like it's trying to get away from them, they spotted bass really target that. So, so it's kind of mimicking because I, I know I've seen crawfish on the bottom. And when you, if you go to grab crawfish, right? Like a lot of times, if, if they see you coming, they'll they'll kind of put those claws up in there. You know, kind of an upright, slided. Same deal. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you're you're saying that they're they're mainly feeding on those crawfish, huh? That's the primary forage where y'all are fishing for them. Yes, sir. And the secondary forage, we think we feel like the thread fin shad is their second forage. Um, matter of fact, my son was targeting mostly um, shad type Alabama bass, uh, feeding on shad during the uh, doing during the Alabama Bassmasters here on Lay Lake. He caught some four to four and a half pounders. I don't think he ever caught a five during the week, but um, he was lucky enough to pull that win off. And uh, he was he was using our baits on that shaky worm, and and just like I said, they were kind of targeting on some shad. So he used a bait that we make uh, called a shaky fish, which uh, some people don't know, but it's a, a bait that Aaron Martins and I um, redesigned. It was a saltwater bait, and we actually got the trailers and all the plastic piece that goes on it, but it tremors coming through the water just like, just like a shad. And uh, been a lot, a lot of tournaments won on that in the past five years. So we we did a lot of research on how to make it do certain things. So we got it fi- all figured out, and that, that's all the good Lord giving us a, enough sense to figure it out because it took me a long time to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So would you would like a shaky head worm like you was talking about imitating a crawfish, and it kind of bouncing along on the bottom shad don't i've never seen shad bounce on the bottom is that more of something that you're fishing like a swim jig or you fish it you fish it a lot like uh maybe a crankbait okay but this is not a bottom type bait you you basically throw it out and it's real simple to fish and it's amazing how big a fish you'll catch on it but yeah the shaky fish and the the minnows that that we design that goes on it's called x swim slim minnow and a fat minnow and that's just a personal preference. We catch them on both, but you just basically throw it out and reel it in. And it actually, just like I was telling you earlier, it actually uh, was developed. I did not develop the bait originally, but Aaron had brought it to me from California, and uh, it was a saltwater uh, bait out there. So I'm really anxious to try to get it down and see if we can catch some speckled trout and redfish with it. Yeah. That, that might be something you might want to try. 
I was going to say, we got some speckled trout and some redfish, and I'm I'm all about uh, my bass rod and reel setups that I have down here. I started several years ago. I got smart, and I, I started just buying inshore, you know, branded uh, bait tackle because down here you're very liable to be fishing down in that brackish water, and I have had a lot of trips down on the causeway where you know tide going out you got fresh water further out in the bay you'll catch bass and as the tide comes in i've sat there and on the same area caught bass at the start of it and then you switch over and you're catching specks and reds and flounder and stuff like that so that's a that's a big deal it's amazing how they mix like that but they i've, I've done the same thing especially around the swanee river area yeah well you and you was talking too about it about it being you know kind of similar to a crankbait and i know i always think of a crankbait as a, a kind of a brother-in-law or you know something you can take them out take right. somebody who's new to fishing and you can say look here take this throw it you know throw it away from the boat reel it towards the boat you can't mess it up That's right. uh, That's my, right. my wife she's been fishing with me more and more over the past couple of years and we're kind of graduating from live bait to to working a few lures i've been i've been getting her out there on some some beetle spins and stuff like that on the on the the brim pond that's a great lure for brim. yeah it sounds like a really versatile lure that you've got right there you talk about something that you could use on inshore salt water something you could use on bass and and the only problem with those crankbaits for a brother-in-law lure is is some of these crankbaits now you get those hung and you're out 15 bucks and a, and a soft that's plastic right. that's why i've always loved fishing the soft plastic because I, I stand to lose two or three soft plastics and it don't ruin my day but uh that second crankbait once you lose it, it stops being as fun so oh yeah oh, i understand i understand you know some of the lures now that we're fishing with my son i don't personally have any but he's got quite a few that cost two and three hundred dollars so um just to bass fish with us we're not talking about tarpon lures but but you know this bait is so easy because i'm not going to say that you will not hang it up but what i can tell you is is it has a bill that puts off all the vibration on the bait. That's what gives it the tremoring uh, action, and that bill actually acts uh, uh, like a weed guard. So I'm going to say for $12, you can get a whole pack of the heads and the baits, and you got, I don't know, 10 baits maybe and a couple of heads with these bills. And, I mean, you got you can fish with those for quite some time. I mean, it's not a dollar bag by no means, but you know, when you start talking about custom lures, that's a pretty economical custom lure. Absolutely. Circling back to your smallmouth bass, and you were saying that you was catching of them a lot here. You talk about catching them on shad imitations, talk about fishing for them on crawfish imitations. And you mentioned that they were a little bit deeper than than largemouth bass. So we've we've talked a little bit about baits and kind of general habitats. But if if we got listeners here on the podcast and, and say they want to knock off work this Friday and they say, well, I think I'm going to go, you know, pick up a pack of baits, pick up some crawfish imitations, and I want to go hit the river. What what would be your recommendations for for kind of keying in on spots that right now seasonally they could they could possibly find some good spotted bass? What we're targeting now is um ledge fish in the 10 to 20 20 foot deep range here on the coosa especially on uh lay lake uh, but the whole coosa river chain is you can probably you, you can if, if you're catching one way on, on say lay lake you ought to be able to catch them on the rest of the coosa within 100 miles so the best thing to do is is take your locator where it be a side imaging or 
uh, forward-facing sonar and, and find your bait and actually find those fish where they're on the side of these ledges and humps in that deeper water. And, you know, you might be surprised and catch some largemouth out there, too. There's still some largemouth shallow, but the largemouth and the spotted bass are moving out at the same time. So that's what I recommend doing. And you can find, you'll find more than one fish at a time. So that'll set you up on a school and you might get real lucky to catch a whole bunch of them in one place without moving. There we go. Well, that sounds like a plan. Well, William... If uh, if people want to learn a little bit more about about those those shaky head lures that you were talking about, where's where's a good place to look you up? Um, you can look us up online on our website at davisbait.com, or you can send us a, a message through Facebook at davisbait.com. Awesome. So that's the two ways that that we look at our emails and, and messages. Awesome. Well, guys, if you're listening in, if you want to try some baits, be sure. Uh, reach out to Davis Bait Co. Support a local business. Hey, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the podcast. All right, guys, that was William Davis with Davis Bait Company. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and hear from some of the people who make this show free for you. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report is brought to you by Hayabusa. Hayabusa provides the world with outstanding fishing hooks. Hayabusa is manufactured in Japan with technical designs, functionality, durability, and styles that customers who want to catch more fish demand. Hayabusa Fishing works tirelessly to provide the highest quality products manufactured and ensures current and prospective customers achieve a higher level of performance by using innovative products. From sabikis and saltwater hooks and jigs to freshwater hooks. See what they're all about at HayabusaFishing.com. Also brought to you by... Crocodile Bay. Costa Rica is not just a legendary fishing and vacation destination. At Crocodile Bay, it's much more than that. They deliver inshore and offshore fishing expeditions to meet the highest expectations, adventures that other resorts wouldn't dare dream of and couldn't dare offer. With the largest fishing fleet in Costa Rica, they create custom angling packages for anglers of all experience levels and all fantasies. They run a fleet of meticulously maintained 24-foot Boston whalers and 33-foot strike tower boats, and they will customize a trip to meet and exceed your expectations. Check them out at crocodilebay.com to book your dream trip today. All right, guys, we are back, and this time we're with Clayton Batts. He is a pro angler and a guide off of the Chattahoochee River system, and he's also a a big-time deer and duck hunter from what he was just telling me. Clayton, how are you doing this evening? Pretty good. Just got out the water. I drove. I left the Potomac River for MLF Invitational on Sunday. I missed the cut by like eight ounces. Drove back Sunday. Drove half a day Monday. I made it home. I left the house this morning at five o'clock, and I just finished up probably 25 minutes ago today. And then I get to start back. I have another day off, and then I'll start back Thursday, Friday, and finish the week off. Man, that's that's making me uh, tired just hearing about it. Did y'all get any of that rain been sweeping through the south here? We have. The river is a little bit stained up the river from coming down. Uh, south end of the lake still looks good. It's clear. The north end has not muddied up enough to really affect the offshore fish. They're still there. Uh, and obviously the south end, it didn't. it's still clean, so the fish are still there too. But they're still out there on the ledges. They're waiting to be caught. I ran two trips today. First trip was a little four-hour trip. We caught 17 or 18. 
this afternoon it was a six, but they were tired after four, and we probably caught 23 or 24. They were generating this afternoon, so it made it a little bit better. That's Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a great trip. How many guys are you taking out if you're going out there and catching two dozen bass? Is that between you take usually two clients, three? or It's two clients, and then like when we pull up to a wad of them after I idle over them, look at them on those lower answers, I'll pull up there and I'll cast out there a couple times, catch one just to kind of, you know, show them there's fish there. And then I'll sit down and normally I just sit there and wait on them to catch one and I'll unhook it. We'll take a picture, do whatever we want to do. And then they're back at them again. Man, that's, that's awesome. If you got just two guys going out there and catching all them fish, that sounds like a good time. So how, uh, explain to me a little bit and, and to our viewers. So I'm, I'm fairly proficient at shallow water bass. And I've got electronics on my boat, but that that's something I don't have the same amount of confidence in as I have in other areas of fishing. How, how are you finding them deeper, what you call them, ledge fish? Kind of walk me through that, if you don't mind. It's a lot of seat time. That's what, there's tournaments going on. There's a high school when they're going on this weekend. And I try to tell them, and a bunch, the ones that do good, they will do it. The ones that don't good, do good, they, they fish. <laughs> you gotta come up here and you're practicing for a tournament and it's hard to do especially i know it's a high school they come up here they want to fish but there's no need for you to go out there and win practice they'll go out there and find three or four places and they'll be all jacked up thinking they're gonna do real good they'll blast off and if they got a good boat number they might get on one of them but if not there'll be boats sitting on their stuff and they have nowhere to go right where instead of them idling the whole time finding as many as they can find either sitting on one or rotating through that's the decision they have to make but that seat time in that seat when you idle over them on that uh, graph it's not lying to you if you see them down there there's fish down there they don't just make stuff up and that's the biggest thing i try to tell people is leave those rods either in the hotel room the cabin wherever you're staying or either put them in the rod locker and lock the key in there and leave it in your truck <laughs> you got to spend a lot of time staring at those graphs, looking at those lower ranches, what they're saying, marking the schools, and have enough where you can go fish a tournament. Man, I, I like what you're saying there. I relate to that as a deer hunter. I tell people all the time, like, if you're not getting on deer, scout, even if it's the middle of the season, like you said, leave leave your rod at home, leave your gun at home, go out there, walk your property, or, or drive the lake. And that's, that's something I really struggle with, and, and I'm sure a lot of guys, too, because you always press for time, you know, like I just started, started a new job and you get a new kid. And like, I went fishing Sunday, uh, and it was the first time I'd been in two months. So I know that's, a, I know that's hard for a lot of guys to go out there and, and quote unquote waste a day scouting, but it, it really is. You're right. Like that's, you know, very important. Like you can't really fish if you don't, if you don't know where fish are, you know? Right. I mean, and it's, and it's different kind of different. If you're out there fun fishing and you've marked them before and you're looking then do it but like i was trying to explain to a couple of them of a previous tournament that came here if you go grab eight hours a day and say you fit i'm just gonna break it down kind of easy and you grab for um, this is extreme because most of them don't grab this much you grab seven hours out of those eight and then you don't grab if you fish for an hour well you can idle roughly you know i'm gonna do probably ballpark five miles an hour is what you idle mm. well that one hour you fished you missed idling five miles on that lake in those five miles you could find through schools you could find another 10 that's 10 more places you would have in a tournament and it's hard to get a bunch of the kids and even some of the older people 
to realize how much sea time it takes finding these places. And even when saying that, like, you would not, you'd be amazed. And it is a lot of, it's a lot, a lot of the high school kids that they like the short way there. And I end up putting them down by no means because I'm glad they're on the water and not sitting there behind a iPad or playing a video game. You know, I'm glad they're out there fishing. But a bunch of them try to do that shortcut where they'll ride down the lake and they'll see where people are fishing on ledges. They mark them and they come back, look, or they just come back and fish it because they don't know how to grab. Right. But yeah. I've taken some kids and there's some of their dads. They understand it. They want their kid to go out there and learn how to graph, how to idle ledges, how the fish set up, then how you set up when you fish those fish. Those are the kids that could do good. And I try to explain it to all of them. I had one dad not long ago, he wanted me to just run spot to spot and try to show his son where to fish. I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to do that. I said, that's like him walking into a math test and the teacher having the answers written on the board and him writing them on a piece of paper and say, look, dad, I made a hundred. That's not right. He's not learning anything. It's not going to help him now. It ain't going to help him later on in life. That's that's a really good way of, of thinking about it. And you kind of, uh, you kind of putting the conviction on my heart personally that uh, I probably need to spend a little bit more time this summer riding than, than throwing. What do you do? What's your strategy? So, so once you've done that and you've, and you've graphed, like say that you do go to fish for that last hour, you graph for seven and, and you fish for one. We always try to cover for our, for our listeners, you know, who are, who are going out this weekend. What's the first thing that you're throwing right now? What's your, what's your go-to once you find fish on a graph? What's the first thing that comes to your mind that you throw at them? Two times a day, like in the mornings and in the afternoon, like right now, I just looked at it. They're pulling 25,000 uh, right now, cubic feet a second, which is a good bit for like you follow. When they're generating current like that, you can get away with a bunch of the fun stuff, like a big Jinko crankbait, a Jinko trimmer head, a big spoon, like the fun stuff to throw. And you can get away with that in the first thing in the morning also. But during the middle of the day, when you pull up on one, you better be dragging a drop shot, a shaky head. They're, Cause they're just out of that net, that you're in that negative feed mode during the middle of the day. Cause they're waiting, either they fed that morning or that they're waiting on the current that afternoon. So you really have to slow down and kind of put something in their face that they want to eat. I think, I think that's a good tip. I was just talking with a uh, William Davis just now talking about uh fishing for spotted bass over there on the Tacusa Talapusa. And that's, that's something that he threw out there too, was a, uh, was a shaky head. Yeah, here, and I use, I mean, even if I'm out there in 20 feet of water, I use a lighter shaky head than a bunch of people. And I'm I'm lucky enough that I spend a lot of time out here guiding. I put a lot of clients in the boat, and I'm able to, they'll bring stuff to throw, and I'll let them throw it. And I'm able to give a, one of the other guys, to say if I got two people, I'll give him a bait that I use. And I'm able to see the difference in the bites between throwing two very similar baits, maybe with just, a little bit of a weight difference or a little bit of a worm difference. I mean, they're throwing in the same place. And if one guy's getting five or six bites to one, there's something different and something they like better about it. But going back to the shaky head, I throw a lot. I throw a quarter ounce shaky head. You get a bunch of people that come out here and they'll drag that three quarter ounce football head with a big worm on it. That quarter ounce shaky head, I kick that guy's butt every time. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? There's no action on it. It's just, when they're not generating any water, there's no action on it. That quarter ounce shaking head, even with the wind or the slightest movement down there, that worm is still moving. It looks more natural. So you, you're talking about dragging it on the bottom. Yeah. How, how, how deep are we talking about? You're talking 
fairly deep profession, right? Yeah, on the ledges, it just, and that's another question I get is how deep are they or how deep are the ledges? It's any depth the ledge is. You have some ledges out there that are 12 foot that have fish on it. You got some that are 25, some that are 28, some that are 15. It's just however deep that ledge is, is where they're going to be sitting. But there's a hard spot, there's a little current break, there's something there that they like, and it's a good feeding spot for them to sit. So what, do you have any tips, like if you're throwing a quarter ounce head, which is fairly light, and you're fishing, sounds like 15 to 30 feet deep, I I imagine a lot of guys, I'm kind of one of them, like I struggle sometimes knowing, okay, well that lure's got contact with the bottom, right, and I'm dragging it through mud, or I'm dragging it over a stump, or whatever, you got any tips for, for how to really get a good feel for what's going on with, with that lure that deep in the water? Yeah, I throw everything like that I throw on a spinning rod. And I'm throwing it on 10-pound Power Pro with a 10- or 12-pound leader on it. That braid and those Shimano rods, you can feel the bottom. And even when I throw a drop shot, a bunch of people, they'll show up here. I do drop shot a little different. I throw a half ounce weight on it, so there's no problem feeling the bottom. I got you. Well, I think uh, I think that's definitely some good tips for this weekend. If if somebody Clayton, if somebody wanted to get up with you, and uh, if they're still struggling with it, or if, if they want to get with somebody and potentially go out there on the lake and, and learn what you know about about reading that sonar, what's what's a good way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, they can look on website. It's LakeYouFollowFishingGuide.com. It's the same thing on Facebook, or they can give me a call at 334-310-8338. All right. Well, guys, y'all heard it. That is Clayton Batts. He is the man up there on Lake Eufaula. Y'all be sure to check him out. And Clayton, I appreciate having you on the podcast. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all. All right. Yes, sir. You take care. All right, guys, that's another awesome report. Y'all just listened to Clayton Batts talk uh, ledge fishing and sonar use out there on the Chattahoochee River systems. Uh, We're going to wrap that report up. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about some of our sponsors who help keep this show free for you guys. This week's episode of Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by KillerDoc. KillerDoc combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDoc.com to see more. Also brought to you by Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply manufacture a variety of metal roofing systems to meet your needs. Whether you're putting a new roof on your home or sheeting a commercial building, they have you covered. 
Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. Also by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or info at sepond.com. And brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251 937 one three eight zero.